Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate abner maris is a world champion boxer olympian sports commentator and most importantly dad to two little girls beloved by abuelas the hardcore fans alike abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner and his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life, and just being a husband and a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Morris whenever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right, your host, Brandon, back at it with my friendly duo, Nick and Dan. Gentlemen, uh, we are going to be doing our match review of the Southampton 3-3 draw. Uh, lots to talk about, uh, but we're going to bring in the heavy hitter, the the firepower, uh, Joe Tweeds. Tweedy, my man, we are excited to have you back. It's been a little bit, um, but the timing is is quite, I think, appropriate coming off this international break. Is I have a feeling this match review will go quite longer than usual because there's a lot of additional context and things we get to talk about outside of this match. So, sir... Welcome back. Excited to have you. Yeah, it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back in the land of the living with my uh, internet connection finally up and running in Switzerland. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to having a chat today. Dan Swiss tweets, man. man. We're getting, we're getting the Swiss tweets. version. He's more neutral than ever, folks. He's going for it. <laughs> more corrupt, a, but more neutral as well, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I have a feeling... Um, never Much mind. more right. wealthy. Tweeds is, <laughs> tweeds is Scrooge McDuck in this thing now. He's He's all in. <laughs> Uh, Dan, set the tone from our Discord on this match. Like, what walking into this, just see the saddest little image from our from our Discord here. Like, what's going on, man? Well, our, our boy Gabriel with the wonderful use of a Stitch from Lilo and Stitch, the Disney animated production, with uh, a look. He's holding a little stick. He's looking down the ground. He's it's a GIF. He's swirling it with the uh, the word underneath it. Mood. He's looking a little sad. And the yeah. question from Gabriel was, question for the pod, how do I make the pain go away? Really Nick, existential question to get us started. Nick, sounds like you solved it. 
I did. I, if, if you're a, a Men in Blazers fan from way back in the day, I took a sad nap yesterday for the first time in a long time. And <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, the, you know, you, you wake up full of optimism at 9 a.m. Hey, we're going to go get another dub today. And then at 11 a.m., you're like, boy, I should have slept in. You know, and so you just take a sad nap. That's it. All right. It's all right. Sad naps it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Add it to your rotation as needed. Hopefully not needed as often this season. Um, but to get into it, to again, get some sentiment, get some engagement from the lovely people out there, Dan, we've got the, the three match word reviews. And these are three, three, word, three word match review. Three, three, three ma- word match review. Yeah. Three match word review. Is- yeah. You, you inverted. That's OK. We'll keep rolling. It's been a while. Anyway, yeah, plenty. <laughs> it has plenty of these came through. Uh, had to pick a few that were, you know, called to me. And then, and Nick, you know, we always like your perspective because you seem to be the arbiter of all things interesting and good in the world. Mm. Occasionally, look, a uh, couple like "Please Stay Calm" from Chase, our friends, actually in the uh, official supporters group down in uh, Cuba, saying uh, that Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. I, I kind of. Gave him a few extra words there. I kind of threw the and as an ampersand, so we'll give that Mm. there. Uh, Our friend Eosine from Discord, please explain Jorginho. We had Travis Moose with Hello German Friends. We had John with a little shout out to our friend Gate17 Marco. Hope you're doing well, buddy. Uh, Feeling better with a frustrating for Frank. One that I didn't understand at all. Sofa King Disgraceful. Mm. Stop Mm. Forcing Mount from Timo Burner. AK with high heart rate, Dave Collier with three not enough, <laughs> and Keith, That's the winner. With, Keith with deja vu, man. Three not enough. Three not enough is is kind of where where I'm at. I think it's probably generally held principle in football, Joe. You score three goals, you probably should win most of the time, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the sponsorship from three, they're definitely getting their money worth. I mean, every time we seem to have a result, there seems to be some sort of element of three in the scoreline. So I think that they, uh, they've had sort of a, a, a kind of boost with the memory there, but uh, yeah, I mean, with the number of goals we scored to start this season, the fact that we actually, you know, we haven't actually won more football matches is, is insane. But I think we'll get into the, into the details a little bit later, but yeah, if you score three goals, particularly three pretty decent goals as well, you do expect to, to win most matches. That's definitely where I'm at on, on some of this. Um, I, you know, look, I appreciated high heart rate, good 40 minutes you know some of those things that uh i can i can really feel feel connected with so um, how many minutes are typically in the football match though well it, that's the problem right not in a full 90 <laughs> I, I will say that there were a lot of keppa ones frank ones wtf ones I mean, it, like, like there were a lot of standard ones and you know to make it in the script gotta level gotta bring up. it Got to yeah, bring it. Gotta... And, uh, these people did. So shout out to them. And, you know, I think we had some some good ones too, Brandon. Yeah, let's run through it. So, Nick, we'll go with you and work our way up. Well, I tweeted this at Dan yesterday. He knows it's coming. <laughs> uh, Mr. We're going to finish in second place, lose the league on the last week of the season. We're going to struggle to finish fourth at this rate. That's what we're going to do. I mean, sir, and, and I'm, I'm only kind of joking. Struggle to fourth is my three. But... You can't defend like we're defending and and pull off another miracle where every team in front of you capitulates to give you fourth again. That's not going to happen this year. We got luck. We got lucky last time, but there there's some troubling signs early on. That's what I'm saying. All right, Dan, up to you. So this was mine. It was Ode to Bournemouth. All right. This had the shades of the the draw to Bournemouth last season, which were 
indefensible then, and it's very indefensible now. All right, Mr. Joe Tweeds. I've gone with individual errors, FC. <laughs> I think purely. I, I saw a, a stat. Uh, I think it was was tweeted by Squawker yesterday that we've made. Well, apparently, okay. So, like in the the definition of the statistic, we've made more individual errors in the uh, opening couple of games this season than we did in the entirety of last season. But uh, I think we made the, the second goal. I mean, we probably talk about it in a bit. Was you would be annoyed if you were playing FIFA and that sort of glitched out. You would be very annoyed if that happened. Particularly, I don't know why Kepas did a slide tackle on the post. That was an interesting way to try and stop them. But yeah, I mean, it, it, the the amount of errors we make as a team is 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 bordering on comical now. So yeah, individual errors, FC. Yeah, I had defense fails offense, kind of time yeah. and time again. Again, uh-huh. you know, we get into it. It's like three goals against Southampton should be enough. Um, we've had three goals. We had to climb back against West Brom. Scored three goals against Brighton. Thankfully, that was enough. Four goals at Palace, but the defense regularly. We've scored all those goals, and we're only plus four in a goal difference. It's not. It's not good enough. You see this returning theme too of Chelsea get a goal or two up and just think that the other team's going to capitulate that it's over that they killed them. And it's like no, you got to kill them all the way dead. Like you got to score your third, and you got you got to make it so impossible for them to come back that you can't let them. You can't let them have a goal right before half, and then you know Bournemouth because they're managed by a strong-willed manager comes out like they're like they're up two to one in the second half. You know, it's like this is a time and time again thing that I don't know if if the mentality can change enough on. That's what scares me. Oh yeah, that, that's fair. Well, we're gonna get into a lot of it, and also the other things we're gonna talk about are. Uh, a positive from this match, which is Timo Werner and his brace. We'll look at how he's adapting to the Premier League and actually playing in a central position because someone's been yelling about it. We're going to try and answer Just, yeah. what exactly is Frank Lampard's managerial style, and we're gonna and what to do regarding an optimal lineup for Chelsea. What does that look like? What can we do? How do we get there? And uh, in case you were not looking at the video, that was me pointing at myself about Timo playing centrally. I am gonna raise that flag and keep it going as, as as long as i can he's the only one folks the only one yeah, yeah. i clearly None of us this have ever is said it on this show ever this <laughs> is the hill i'm going to die on alone i know it mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's play a central forward centrally all right big big in-depth analysis coming at you but hey huge thank yous all right i i need dan you you go ahead and get ready okay while i do these because even i have a lot Deep in patreon breath. i'm excited kyle Castle 5280, Dustin, Jamie, Eddie, Kyle, again, uh, Chris, Bones, too, and Riley. Thank you for joining Discord. Uh, heck, of a, heck of a match to join and, and be in there for that match discussion. It was quite lively. Uh, Dan, have you numbered these Apple podcasts up? Like, it's over a page long. It's yeah, two I have. pages long. It's over I have two counted. pages long. Yeah, it's it's 40, 46 individuals, 46 legends, 46 heroes. Dropping some five star love on the podcast. We did crest over the thousand reviews in the Apple Podcast Store in the US. We're not done though. You know, we we are not taking our foot off the pedal. Unlike some teams, we are going to continue pushing forward, we're going to continue driving. But huge thanks. And I'm just gonna say in advance. A lot of names are about to be butchered. So I'm just going to get that out of the way and try to run through this as quickly as possible. He's doing his uh, best, folks. He's doing his best. (laughs) Queen Dow, uh, John Nick, our boy Eric, who goes by King Little E. 
on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Psy 1984, Spotify is Amazing Girl. Frederick, we have NBear12, we have D Tarantino4, Kanato14, Trip from Chicago, or T Money6968, Andy Skadoosh, J Snooji, Ebezel the Dog, Starboy, Quarzy, Lee Can Show, username 12344, Treo Wolf, Samuel McNally, J Moon 13, Dr. Tony 23, Yo 223, uh, Jordan Lovers, uh, Two Snooks 2, Kill a Bee on the Swarm, Fatlar 24, <laughs> M Lope, uh, Rapid 888, Region 20, also Discord member, thanks for that, Sid 203, Phil in the Blues in NC, Jeff from Wisconsin, not Jake from State Farm, Jmar 017, Paul Oliver 10, G Smooky, uh, Joe Noonan, uh, Ben from Wendy's, PM Bemis, we had J, uh, Javier, we had DW7171, we had someone from the San Diego Blues, Bart Grossman, we had Manny Bag of Donuts, That Sab, Climsy, Smeal, T Land 55, Blink Blade, and Ease Scree 1995. Well done, Dan. <laughs> Well done, man. That Only was... about five of those fully butchered, but we, we made it through it. That's, that is a, a huge effort from all of you out there. Thank you for that. Uh, Nick, over to you before we get stuck right into this match review. Yeah, vote. We, we're doing these PSAs until the election. Vote. It's easy. You can go check your voter registration if you think you're registered. If you haven't registered, look at your state to make sure that you still can register to vote figure out you know who's on your down ballot races and and vote for the people who can impact your life at the state level um it's super important you only get a shot at this once every two years figure it out all right so it was southampton in the premier league it was this past saturday october 17th at stamford bridge scoreline chelsea three southampton three uh goals well we'll bring them to you in a second the score predictions we didn't get them right i did call a draw I'm upset. I was right. I was feeling good at 3-2. Apparently, that was my problem. Um, but we're going to bring in the goals. They are from Chelsea's official app, the Fifth Stand app. Uh, they've started doing exclusives. So things are going to go out on the app before they go out anywhere else. So if you want to see photos, videos, interviews, it will be on the Fifth Stand app from Chelsea first. All right, take it away, Chelsea. Chelsea are back in action following the international break with Southampton, the visitors to Stamford Bridge. Oh, what oh, a turner. That's brilliant. Away from Bednarek, bearing down on goal. Still Timo Werner away from Romero. Yeah. That one's going to count. Timo Werner with his first Premier League goal. Chelsea ahead with just 15 minutes played. A big moment for the German. It's Chelsea 1, Southampton 0. And this is what Timo Werner is all about. Swept forward by Jorginho. It's a really good ball as well. Werner looking to unsettle Bednarek again. He's done it over the head of McCarthy. <laughs> Brilliant from Timo Werner. He's arrived all right. Werner at the double. And Chelsea with a strong grip on the game now. Again, the Southampton defending left plenty to be desired. Adams, clever through ball for Ings and out of nothing. 
Southampton have got themselves a goal back just before half-time. Might that be a key moment in the match? Zuma, that was short, and Kepa's missed it, and Adams, can he get there? Or Ings to turn it in for 2-2 off the post. Still with Adams, he's rifled it in. And from 2-0 down, Southampton a level. Here's Pulisic. Werner wants it back. Werner for the hat-trick and selfishly tees up Havertz. And just like that, Chelsea are in front again. Wow, magnificent. Great play again by Timo Werner, but Havertz as well had a big part to play. Obviously the finish. Bertrand Bazuma got his head to it and then Walcott back in and it's crept in. Whether Walcott's touch was the most significant or Yannick Vestergaard, it doesn't really matter. But Chelsea have been unable to hold on in stoppage time here. All right, six goals. Six goal thriller? I don't know if I would call it an absolute thriller. Uh, but Dan, as we get into Break It Out, as always, we need some context. So give us a lineup and I'll give us some stats. Well... Yeah, we knew that Mendy was going to be out injured. We knew that Silva had just returned back from his time in Brazil on international duty. So those were exclusions from this match. So we did see Kepa Rikablaga between the sticks. Andreas Christensen, Kurt Zuma as your center back pairing with Ben Chilwell and Azpilicueta on the flanks. You saw Jorginho Conte as our midfield two. And in front of him was Christian Pulisic, Mason Mount, and Kai Havertz in an amorphous blob of attack with Timo Werner as our central striker for this affair. We did have Willie Caballero, Fakayo Tomori, Olivier Giroud, and Callum Hudson-Odoi on the bench who did not make appearances. And then we did see Hakim Ziyech get his first Premier League minutes in the 72, 72nd minute. We had Reese James come on in the 87th, and then Tammy Abraham came on in the 90th minute. Some of the top-line stats, Chelsea with 53% possession, uh, 11 total shots, 5 on target to Southampton, had 13 shots, 6 on target. Um, the touches and passes were pretty even. Tackles were even. We had 29 clearances to their 8. Again, 29 clearances. We had 6 corners to their 2. A um, couple yellow card or a yellow card each uh, and some fouls conceded. And then lastly, Dan... Your XG. Yeah, this is actually something that is mildly annoying is that we overperformed our expected goal, which is what we had talked about in the pre-match podcast, Nick and I did, at a point, 1.9 to 2.0 Chelsea to Southampton and uh, ended up as a 3-3. So. All right, Tweeds, I'm going to open it up to you. XG stats or lineup, anything in particular you want to go back and touch on? Yeah, I think this is... It's a little bit of a point on, on Mason Mount's kind of utilisation on the Lampard and I think maybe uh -oh. some reflections that uh -oh. I've... Uh, Controversial I've opinion. No, <laughs> Mason yeah. Mount. Yeah, Mason Mount. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Don't, don't mention Mason. Um, <laughs> but I suppose it's more, I would say, not so much on, on this game, but a, a maybe a reflection of how he's been used in general. And I see this huge parallel with, with how Oscar was deployed on Jose Mourinho. You know, I think that a lot of people felt that Oscar, in the rare times we saw him play as a sort of more traditional central midfielder, actually looked like the player that we felt that he could be. He had some fantastic games there. Um, but for, for reasons that uh, Mourinho had at the time, particularly when it came to um, sort of defensive off the ball work, being a defensive number 10, his 
his ability to press his work rate, he was often deployed at wide, deployed as a number 10. And I see very, very kind of uh, similar parallels to how Lampard is currently using, using Mount. Um, you know, if you look at his defensive stats yesterday, I think he was one of the leaders in terms of pressures from Chelsea. He typically is. Um, I think there was certainly a, a drop when he came off in terms of the ability to press in the front. And I think people who underrate that aspect of the modern game in terms of, you know, what he brings to the team are actually doing him a huge disservice. However, I think I would also say that, uh, you know, I don't think we're really getting the best out of Mason by playing him as a, as a wide player. Certainly, I think when you have Christian Pulisic coming back from, you know, his sort of period of rest or international duty or whatever, you know, the sort of the, the absence um, has been for. But his his influential performances for Chelsea have always come from that left-hand side. And certainly the, the shape that we've started to play in terms of this kind of uh, like 3-2-4-1 in possession, where we drop through at the back and place that sort of four in the middle, that only works when you have width on both sides. And Pulisic playing on the right, he he comes central. He wants to get on the ball. He wants to be in number 10 areas. It's why he's so effective from the left, because he can cut in, dribble and, and finish. But from the right-hand side, he's sort of just coming in. He's not, he's not coming in on a stronger foot. So I think what you're seeing is, is yesterday is, is Mount not necessarily sort of maintaining the, the same sort of level of, of width, not coming in inside as much. And, and Pulisic, for me, until he moved to sort of the, although he did contribute for the goal from that position, but I think if you're going to play him, you've got to play him from his best position. So for, for me, when I sort of reflect on the, on the, on the team, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this, this 4-2-3-1 system. Um, I don't think, I haven't thought for a long time that we have the midfielders to, to play uh, two midfielders, particularly when we're playing against the three. Um, you know, you have to have physically and technically proficient players to play as a two to compete against a three. They have to be able to physically compete to defend against three men. They have to be able to be technical enough to beat three men, either in possession with the ball, with their passing, etc. Um, but but looking at, at Mount in particular, yeah, that, that sort of comparison to Oscar and, and Oscar's time at Chelsea is becoming to me more and more apparent the, the more that I see him play for me, entirely out of position. I think if you want to get the best out of him, you move him centrally, you play him deeper. I think the Everton performance last season where he moved into that role and had an absolutely storming game before the whole pandemic sort of kicked off in earnest in the Premier League. But we've not seen him enough in, in those areas. And I think it's it's to the detriment of the team. You're, you're not putting your, probably your most dangerous player in Pulisic. You're not putting him in his natural position. Um, you're not maintaining the width of the pitch, which is crucial to the system because we have so many players who want to play narrow. So I think that there's kind of this knock-on effect of playing um, players out of position, um, maybe not playing in them in, in sort of the areas that, that they're strongest in. And I think it's a little bit just trying to fit like the expensive pieces of a jigsaw into kind of different areas just so they're there on the pitch. I think for me, the focus has to be more about the balance of the team. And, and certainly if, if you want to play this system and you want to play with, you know, the, I think the only natural winger that we have that can maintain the width on the right-hand side is Callum hudson Adoy. He's the only one who will stay out on the, on the touchline with Chilwell and maintain the width of the pitch. Put Pulisic on the left-hand side, let him come into those, those sort of central areas, let him influence the game, let Chilwell keep the width, let Callum keep the width, let Havertz drift in field, um, and then let sort of Timo play on the shoulder. But it was, I think, sort of a selection to me that, yeah, just just didn't really kind of work, you know, sort of soon as Southampton kind of figured out the system. I know we'll talk a little bit more about this in depth in a second, but once they figured out the system, we, we just couldn't get the ball out of our own half. And it's no no surprise to me that we, we made so many clearances because, you know, we're not that comfortable in possession in those areas. So it led to people just literally just lumping the ball anywhere. 
to, to sort of relieve pressure. So, yeah, all in all, not not a huge fan of the system. Um, if you're going to play it, you're going to have to kind of put in some players who, who keep the width and put people in the in the correct places because otherwise, what you're going to see is teams realizing when they start reviewing the South, Southampton figures that if you put Chelsea under pressure in the system, you know they're going to be on the back foot and it's going to be tricky for us to deal with. So. Yeah, not, uh, not not hugely enamoured with it, but I'm hopeful that if, it, if we're persisting with it, then Lampard realises that the combination of players is as important as the uh, the personnel that he's picking. Well, we definitely will, to, you know, to your point. Uh, but one person who has enjoyed uh, the system, or at least a positional change, was Timo Werner, which we talked about uh, a little bit earlier. And so kind of taking a step back before we get into the problems of the match because there there were a few right we we definitely want to talk about Timo and and his success that he had today so all it took was an international break playing centrally and thousands of FPL managers dropping him from their lineups for Werner to start scoring uh what did he have like 26 points in the fantasy in the fantasy realm if you captained him or something 33 uh, okay he had a good day out needless to say uh, and he did it in style. Uh, I thought his goals were fantastic. Um, Chelsea Youth even getting in on the party saying, to be perfectly honest, it's two goals and two assists for Werner so far today. He made those chances for himself and then finished them. Uh, he definitely did on the first one. Great dummy. Uh, got himself in. Great finish. Uh, the second one, though, it's a pass that we've only seen rarely, and I've talked about it a little bit, is that early release from Jorginho. He found Tammy last season once on that pass. Uh, and he got a little bit lucky. I think the defense mess, mucked it up a little bit, um, but it was still there. So overall, Dan, I mean, uh, two goals for Timo Werner. Um, your little nickname probably in play is he's able to show off his speed, uh, especially against two big center backs. He knew exactly how he wanted to play around them. He's a smart guy. He knows how to create chances. Yeah, Timmy Berner was uh, on on display yesterday, and he was feeling himself. You know, I think coming off of a really good performance for Germany during the international break, and comes into this game playing centrally, getting support from you know others in, in the others on the pitch. You know, I think the Jorginho chance it was. There was still a lot of work to do for Timo. I think that was the point that Phil was trying to make is that both of these goals required Timo to do a little bit more than just be ready and take the first shot. It was something where he had to manufacture a little bit of space. You know, the first goal basically running across the box <laughs> horizontally and dragging defenders out of position with him, like uh, almost like he was the magnet and he was kind of pulling the the shards and the uh, the little uh, you know balls. Uh, Ball, like draw the hair onto the head with the the magnet where you kind of drag everything around. And then the second one, you know, he you know, ended up getting it, you know, headed in off the bounce. So it's just really a strong performance from him today. It made himself available, uh, brought others into into the match too, was able to kind of drop, drop in deep and kind of continue to allow play to be circulated. And, you know, kind of gave others space. You know, he helped create a lot of opportunities to get the ball out wide to Ben Chilwell. You know, he kind of forced himself into the right side, which freed us up on the, the left so that uh, Mason and Ben could get a little bit of space there. And, you know, I think, you know, for everything, just really, really enjoyed himself, Nick, in the way that he was able to find the space on the pitch. And also really, I, I think this is the first time I felt like he really was making Premier League center backs, Premier League defenders pay for not handling him appropriately. 
Yeah, I mean, we called this out in our in our preview, but Southampton have one of the slowest center back pairings in the league. So this is going to be a always going to be a matchup nightmare for them. And you know, obviously, they were probably hoping that Giroud or Tammy started up front with Timo in the wing. Um, that did not happen, obviously, and I think they paid the price for it. Um, he played really, really well for sixty minutes. Um, I, I didn't have any issue with with that. I, I would agree. I think the second, if you saw a slow mo replay, of the second one, there's a little bit of a was it a shoulder, was it an arm type of uh, catch over the top. I understand why people might be upset about that, given VAR's incredible inconsistency this year. But uh, I think he finished that goal incredibly well. Um, this was the first game that he looked super, super confident to me. Like he was just going to mm-hmm. go on a tear, uh, which is it's needed, man. We need we need all of our our frontline players to think they're going to score every time they they get into the box. So um, yeah, I, I'm super pleased for him. Uh, I wish that the team would have delivered what would have been an you know an obvious man of the match award to him because we won. <laughs> I think that's that's the disappointing piece. I know we've got some uh, some graphics in here from Newman, one of our favorite uh, you know creators on on the socials at Nami Footy. Um, go check him out. Uh, we'll put link in the description. Uh, but he just does a really good job of grabbing of taking some screen grabs of this match. He shows Timo coming in deep, which creates uh, the space for the the overload for Ben Chilwell to get in. Uh, so it shows how dynamic he is on that goal that, you know, he, he can check back, get the ball, create space for Kai Alberts, Mason Mount, you know, whomever is behind him. Um, and we've also seen him run into space. So I guess, you know, to me, Tweeds, he's, he's very dynamic. He's smart. He's versatile. He got his two goals and assist um, a, as perfect of a day out for strikers you can get. Um, but in your sense, is you know, how are you assessing Timo? We've seen him play in a couple of different positions. I'm strongly voicing my opinions that like it's obvious this is his best position for Chelsea. Yeah, there's there's two things that I probably want to mention on on Werner. I think first of all, positioning. Yeah, I mean, I completely concur that he is by far probably you know, his his best position certainly when it comes to the Premier League is to play as a, as a central striker. If you're going to put him slightly wide or you're going to push him, you know, in sort of other areas, he has to play with a target man. And, you know, when we saw him play for, for Red Bull in Germany, you know, his ability to play with Paulson up front, you know, that, that connection, that sort of little and large sort of traditional connection, he really thrived in that system. But I think in the Premier League, his, his turn of pace, his ability to to find space. I think the, the clips you, you posted are really good examples of that. His sort of match intelligence are, are probably making him more suited to play just completely centrally. And the other sort of point I want to make and just something that I've, I've started to sort of notice the more that I've seen him and certainly in a Chelsea shirt and obviously for Germany, kind of the internationals that I think have really been beneficial to him. And sort of when I sort of make the comparison to people, I don't want people to jump on and I think that I'm saying he is as good as these two players, but sort of more from a, a kind of a, a stylistic perspective. So for me, one of the, the marks or the hallmarks of a really, really top striker or someone who could be a really, really elite striker is the ability to generate um, space or shooting angles or just the ability to sort of create opportunities to get strikes off on goal. 
And it seems a very, very basic point to make, but it's not something that will centre for us, particularly when it comes to being in the penalty area have. And when I sort of look at him, I see kind of shades of, of Sergio Aguero. I see Luis Suarez, that ability to, to feint, to shimmy, to kind of dip the shoulder. You know, I think on the goal, he, he I think he took two or three shot fakes to sort of create the opening. And it's sort of like an innate sense that these really top forwards have to create just enough space, to create just enough of an angle to, to get a strike on goal. Um, you know, the disappointing thing, I think, for me was that he looked so dangerous and yet we only managed to sort of factor um, or sort of create for him. About, I think he touched the ball about 32 times yesterday, which for a player as dangerous as, as he is, for me, again, you know, you want to get him the ball a bit more often because he is so incredibly dangerous, particularly if he, you know, he has the ability to beat a number of players and get shot, shots away. We think we're seeing that for, for Germany and for Chelsea. So, yeah, his, his ability to find shooting angles, I think that's going to be the thing that really starts separating him from from other players that we have in those those um, sort of similar positions. But I completely agree. I think he he has to start down the middle. Um, and if there is any sort of uh, kind of, you know, point of, of pushing him wide, then it's really, it's not too wide. It's more for me, but almost playing him in a two with, with another striker. But I don't, I don't want to see him stuck out on the right wing, you know, sort of holding the width and just sort of getting crosses into the box. You're not getting the most out of him. You need to get him in the area. You need to get him opportunities where he can shoot. Because I think he's super efficient, and as we've seen, you know, he he worked the goalkeeper nine times out of ten when he has that when he has that sort of ability to to drive into the area. So yeah, I thought he played really well. But uh, when the team faded, you know, we, we couldn't get the ball out of our own half, and we couldn't get the ball to him in particular. And I think it, it showed in those the fact that he only touched the ball thirty two times. Well, and this was the thirteenth. He scored in his thirteenth shot on goal for in in the Premier League this season. So the fact that it's taken us into a fifth game here to be able to get him to the point where we've given him the appropriate service to actually take the shot and attempt the shot. I think that is a concerning element. Hopefully now with the return of Plissick, with the introduction of Ben Chilwell, with, you know, hopefully he doesn't need to Brandon dummy himself (laughs) frequently to be able to set himself up on goal that he'll get the necessary support from our other cast members. Right. We we do have support. And I think uh, a bit of a top heavy team right now. Uh, Kai Averts also getting on the, the score sheet from the assist from from Timo. Uh, definitely getting himself in some dangerous positions. We've seen it all season. Uh, did it again today. Was there for a tap in. Had a nice little dink to make sure it got over the goalkeeper uh, sprawling to get across the goal. You know, I, I think that we saw some, you know, it was Christian's first you know, full 90 out in a while. So it was a lot of, you know, probably rust to knock off for him. Um, and again, I, a way to get into this, this formation thing, cause I'm also not a fan of the four, two, three, one, but we did create the chances, Nick. And I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is, you know, we did get five shots on target. We scored three goals. That's a great return. Um, there's a lot of firepower in this team and, and, you know, Kai Alberts is, is clearly a part of that as well. And, and got himself a goal. Uh, yeah, Havertz is an interesting one, man. Uh, I think the team right now is set up to get the most out of him more than any other player. And it does, as Joe was kind of previously referencing, it does force you know players like Pulisic and Mount and N'Golo Conte and Jorginho to all kind of figure out where he is as a focal point. And there, you know, there were times where he showed absolute top class play yesterday. And I think the goal, the goal was a great run, obviously, and an easy tap in. 
Um, but even in the first half, some of his passing was just like boss mode level. Like it was top, top tier. And then I don't know if you guys felt this, but early, probably like 50th minute or so, he, he was getting a bit of the business. Like it, it was clearly a directive from Hassan Hudel to try and check him off the ball more to try and get in his head a little bit. And he seemed really, really frustrated um, after he gave up the ball that eventually led to the Ings goal. Um, I think he was maybe being a little bit too cute around around our area. And obviously that's not something you can afford to do this year. Um, but he looked really, really frustrated for large parts of the second half. And, you know, I'm, I think he's probably in this position now where he's just getting used to the league and getting used to the physicality and, and things like that. But it was it was very Jekyll and Hyde-ish to me, Dan, uh, from what I was seeing. There's a interesting point of conversation that we saw. And there's a word that I keep seeing associated with Kai Havertz, which is just so funny to me that we would the word is lazy. And it's it's just a, it's a odd assessment of, I think, someone who is extremely talented and gifted. I think he he's got a very stoic face he is taller he's a little lankier than you know some of the kind of midfielders maybe we've seen and i think just this combination of how effortless things are for him too he had some weighted cross passes that he played like forward to keep the ball moving that to me looked super hard to pull off but because just of how skillful he is, it was not an issue for him. And so there are times I feel like where he's just so good at it that it looks way easier than it actually is to execute. But I think because of that, he also gets a little bit of a knock. It's going to be interesting to see how this assessment kind of works its way through the channels and people get used to the fact that he is just so skillful that it is going to look easier for him at times. I do think to the point you made, Nick, that he is adapting to the league. I think there are challenges that he's kind of worked into where he needs to use a little bit more of his height, needs to use a little bit more of his frame to execute on. I mean, he was able to get up in the box, uh, you know, on kind of one of the set piece attempts. And that could have also given us another opportunity to, to score. I mean, he does have the height, he does have the frame, but I think Joe, it, it really is an adaption phase for Havertz at the moment where he's learning how quick it is and what he can get away with and what he can't get away with because it is a little bit different than the the speed and the pace that he was used to at uh, Leverkusen. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think sort of one of the interesting things, and, and this this was a little bit amusing, maybe not on the context that we drew the game, but I felt certainly when when Hakim Ziyech came on that he looked almost shocked at how quick the, the game was at times, that the, mm-hmm. he had a couple of touches where Southampton were, weren't just straight on him, they were on him and like they sent him a message as soon as he came on the pitch. So, you know, context for, for habits in terms of his adaptation. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's going to have to get used to the physicality. He's going to have to get used to the treatment that, that teams will give him. You know, when you have the ability, I think, I can't remember, I think it might have been in the first half, he played a, a free ball that I think we ended up screwing up. It might have been Mountain, Pulisic and someone else, they kind of all kind of got on top of each other. But I mean, the weight of that pass was sort of vintage, that's fabulous. We haven't had someone with that ability to make those sort of passes probably since Cesc's first season here at Chelsea. So the quality that he has, and I think he he suffers a little bit from the same as Michael Balak in that they're very laconic players in terms of how they move around the pitch. They've got sort of a, a kind of a, a weird kind of running gait. But I mean, if you look at the 
the sort of stats. I mean, Havertz was comfortably led Chelsea in pressures in, in Chelsea's front four players yesterday. So, you know, the sort of narrative that he maybe doesn't work or, you know, because of the, the stylistic or the aesthetic about him, I think he had 20 pressures. I actually think even, might have been Jorginho maybe was the only player ahead of him in the entire team um, in terms of those pressures. So, but he he will have to, I think, get get used to the, the fact that challenges from behind are almost kind of welcome in the Premier League. You're not gonna you're not gonna buy free kicks just by the fact that somebody is isn't tackling you sort of head on. Um, you know, he's he's you know one kind of touch of his studs away from having a highlight moment that then leads to them scoring a goal. Ah, you know, the, the the margins in the Premier League are a lot tighter than they will be playing in in Germany. Um, I have no doubts that he will become a really, really top level player. You know, we've seen that it, that it does take certainly attacking players from Germany. If you contrast maybe Pulisic starts the season to his end last season, he ended being looking like one of the best players in the Premier League. He started, he had, he had some good games, dipped a little bit, but then when he found his feet in the Premier League, he sort of accelerated and took off to like two, three levels above where he was playing. I'm hopeful that Havertz can follow a similar thing where he has this period of adaptation, gets used to the physicality, um, gets used to the fact that players will just kick him all game and the referee will be relatively okay with it. Um, but, you know, I think we saw certainly there was some, some really nice combinations of play with Werner, you know, and it won't, it won't hurt that Pudisic is fluent in German. You have that front, that front three potentially or speaking a completely different language to, to the defenders they're playing against, which will be an interesting element there. But I think we, we need to figure out a, a system that kind of allows people to play in the best positions and, and allows Havertz to have a little bit of freedom and protection around him. I still think that I would like to see him play as the right central midfielder in a, in a 4-3-3. Let him sort of, you know, kind of just float around a bit, have to maybe mount and Kante or whatever, doing a little bit more of the dog work with him. Pulisic wide left, Ziyech or, or Callum wide right, and then and Timo up top. Just a little bit more balance to the team and, and let him drop in. Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's, looked, he's looked, you know, pretty impressive, I'd say, so far. I think that it will come to a point where Chelsea, yeah, just sort of need to figure out how to how to get him to impact the game for more periods of time. You know, I think it's a it's a thing with young players that they can drift in and out of matches as well. Certainly obviously adapting to a new league is going to be one of those facets. But I think that his his potential and I just think that his quality that we saw and we're kind of seeing a bit more regularly in games now, certainly not for sort of you know 90 minute periods where he's completely dominating the game, but he's he's having impactful moments. And for the goal, I mean yeah, you know, he kind of just sort of ran in and, and sort of tapped it in there. But I like the fact that he is a midfielder who's willing to kind of make those runs to get into the area, you know, and sort of score those goals. And I think, again, you know, I think he would have been disappointed with the header that you mentioned. I actually thought he probably should have scored that. You know, he is good mm-hmm. in the air. It's not like he's just tall and, you know, like Peter Crouch was actually tall and not actually that good in the air. Havertz <laughs> is tall and he is actually, you know, he's pretty decent in the air as well. So, but for, for a guy who, no preseason, I think those Germany games actually when we kind of always look at internationals, there's a hindrance and a bit of annoyance. I think they've actually helped him kind of get a little bit more up to match speed. But I, I'm looking at him in sort of the next four to six weeks to sort of really kick on. Um, but it will come down to, I think, a lot in terms of, of how Lampard is selecting the team, the players that he plays around him. You know, I think you could see, even though Zich was a little bit off the pace, the combinations that they were starting to play together, that one-touch stuff and kind of keeping the ball moving, that's the sort of football that I think he's going to excel at. But he's only going to be able to play that with the better players. So be interesting to see how that composition of the attack and maybe whether he drops into midfield. But yeah, I think overall decent game. Obviously he's, he's got his goal. He's, he's kind of off the mark as well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's going to have to, like a lot of young players who come to the Premier League, he's going to have to learn about the physical adaptation, the physical element of the Premier League. 
because if he doesn't, it's going to be a long season for him. But as I say, I think Pulisic is a great example, kind of adapted to the, the physicality halfway through the season and was probably our best player towards the end of last year. So similar things. And if you get both of them playing on the same same wavelength, same thing from the same hymn sheet, that is going to be incredibly dangerous to teams. So I still think that that, you know, Pulisic on the left, with Havertz's ability to pick those passes, that is a match made in heaven for that kind of diagonal left to right run that Pulisic loves to make. All right. Well, I think I'm going to call back. It is funny. We're speaking German up front and French in the back, two very different languages. And then you have like <laughs> some English muddled in the middle a little bit to transition. Uh, very interesting team dynamic, but uh, you know, Averts is, is going to need time. I, I think I, my idea on Ziyech was he was told to only go about 70%. He didn't really track back on some guys that I felt like he could have covered. I think Frank thought it would be a lot easier for him in the last 10 minutes, um, but he was hurried. Uh, he was put under pressure, and um, he, he just didn't look 100%. And I think it was like the restrictor plate was put on him so he wouldn't re-injure himself a little bit. But you're right. Uh, these guys, uh, it's a it's a lot to take in early this season. So um, we're going to continue the discussion. Uh, up next is Nick's eye test. Uh, they're going to talk about Frank Lampard's style. And obviously, we'll get into talking about what we think our optimal lineup is and if we can ever even get there. So we are going to take a quick break. Thank you to these sponsors for financially supporting the show. Let us know which one you like the best. And we'll be right back. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. It's a lot. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. 2020 has been hard enough. And you know what? Worrying about your routine for taking care of business below the belt shouldn't have to be one of those things you're concerned about. Thankfully, our friends at Manscaped are making your life simple, and they're going to allow you to turn your bathroom with a snap into your very own private. This is the exact copy from the text. Dong Salon. You know, they're, they're concerned about your bangers and mash. They don't want it to look like a mess. You know, they don't want it to be the worst get it bangers and mash and worst anyway they just released their products in the uk canada and australia the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with the advanced skin safe technology that helps reduce grooming accidents that's plus waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes hopefully not all in one sitting and they also released their shears 2.0 nail kit which is the perfect add-on for their lawnmower 3.0 trimmer their perfect package pun intended, comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to help complete your ball trimming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraffin-free, if you know what all those are, to keep your, yes, this is in the text too, disco stick in good hands. 
Look, you're probably thinking about it. You know, you want to keep yourself smelling fresh. You've got the crop preserver for keeping the odor to a minimum downstairs. They've got a crop reviver toner that is spray on for the jewels. And then they've also got a foot duster deodorant. So good, you can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. All these things sound great. And you know what? They got a code for our listeners. London is blue. It's a 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. And so, you know, if you want to protect the package and not uh, not have it be the worst, uh, go hit it up now. Manscaped.com is the code London is blue for 20% off plus free shipping. All right, so uh, before we get into Nick's eye test, though, obviously we lightly touched on the return of Christian Pulisic, uh, our American hero right now. Um, and obviously it was his first 90 minutes coming back from uh, you know, more injuries. And uh, he finally started to give us some some numbers of wide players. Tweets talked about the, the need of width. Uh, Christian provides width. He likes to stay wide until he cuts in and dances around people. Um, but anyways, Nick, Christian's back. What did you think of his first uh, first 90 minutes back? You started to see glimpses. Started to see glimpses. Obviously, when he moved centrally, that's where he was most effective. When, you know, him and Kai were able to kind of overlap. And then eventually, Ziyech got into the game and you started to see some of the the potential there. Um, he was not as effective on the right as he typically is on the left. That's not a surprise. I think the only note I would make about him is with a kind of latish run into the box, he had a decent chance for a goal yesterday. And I, my hope is that with the crowding that Joe had previously mentioned and, and, you know, right before the break that they start to stagger some of these runs a little bit, because I think Christian has shown with the late run against uh, Villa that he had, where he scored that kind of uh, the winner and, and some of his other goals uh, last year that he can be that guy if everyone else is going to just kind of stand in around the box and, and crowd each other out. So I think that's a problem they need to solve for. But uh, I I think we're going to see a different side of him when he gets to play on the left, and we're going to probably see more of the pre-lock or post-lockdown pool sick. So that would be my only note on him. Yeah, that makes sense. Dan, what about you? It's great to see him back. I think all everything that Nick said is – Absolutely right. I look forward to seeing him play more on the left. I look forward to seeing him surrounded by our first choice 11 or what we think our best 11 is going to be at this some point here in the season when they're all healthy and playing together. But in general, it was just nice to have him back. It's nice to see him impact the game. And he did a really nice job helping to give the, I guess, the pre-assist to the goal too. So it was, it's good to see him involved. Good to see him, you know, high energy on the pitch. It's just really... I think imperative if you're going to play and play them on the left, not the right. Yeah, I think that, that the good news is that fits the rest of our players and and kind of where we want to put them, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, tweeds over to you for Chilwell. How do you think he's settled so so far this season? Um, we talked about you know left backs with you this summer, summer quote unquote whatever that was. <laughs> um, how are how are you how are you feeling about Chili B? Quite impressed, I would say so far. Um, I think there are still some some elements to his game that he will need to improve on a little bit. I think there is an element that he likes to take maybe a few too many risks, um, sometimes a little bit in his kind of defensive uh, with in, in possession. But I think he comes largely as advertised, but I think he's a little bit better than what a lot of people anticipated. Um, you know, someone mentioned to me a while ago, a scout that I speak to fairly regularly, that uh, 
you know, one of Chill's biggest assets is his ability to carry the ball. And I've been looking at the stats. I think he carried the ball for 180 yards during the game yesterday. I think he led the team with Werner in terms of ball carries and ball progression. So, you know, he is kind of a sort of an archetypal modern fullback. He's a fantastic athlete. He is a very, very strong runner. Um, he's got good quality on the ball. He's aggressive in the tap. I think it was a bit unlucky. He got given a, a couple of fouls against him yesterday where I actually thought he won the ball. Just it was a little bit of an aggressive challenge. Um, but just yeah, I just I just want to see a little bit, a little bit more improvement on on sort of one to one defending, um, and maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say like you know sort of less confidence in his own ability, but sort of recognise that sometimes it's absolutely fine just to launch the ball down the touchline. You don't have to try and play the one two and sort of get out of there. But I think largely he's he's been impressive. And when you compare him to what we've had for the past couple of years, like assuming that this is his first couple of games, um, you know. There is a reason that, that Lampard, and, and in particular, I think Ashley Cole was championing him as someone that, that could come in and be a good player here. So I think he's he's been impressive, um, very dynamic, um, and I hopefully would like to see that that continue. But, you know, he's going to continue to improve defensively, continue to improve his, his overall kind of perception of the game. I think the one thing that I'll just mention in general when it comes to evaluating players that, you know, every single time we kind of set a lineup at the moment, you know, this group of 11 players have probably never played together in a competitive match. So for the first part of the season, those relationships, the dynamics between players, you know, where they play on the position, the combinations of players, stuff like that, a lot of it's going to be quite new and it's going to be quite difficult to really get a proper assessment. So I think when I look at uh, certainly a lot of the newer players, Chilwell, you know, sort of being one of those guys, I think you will have a bit more of a concrete opinion in by December. But I think largely he's been very impressive to start with. And for the money we could be paid for him, I think actually he's looking to be very, very good business. Much better than 70 or 80 million as, uh, yes. as the negotiation started. Um, all right, Nick, your eye test. Um, surprising that you went with this, but I'm really glad, really glad you did. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of like, because I know there's a lot of negative from yesterday and I, I don't need to exacerbate that um, more than it already will be. But I think having natural left footers in this team has made a massive difference in the way that we attack. Um, you don't have some of the awkward passes. You have more natural lanes for Chilwell in particular, who I thought had an excellent first half. Uh, Kai Havertz, obviously, we've talked about. And then you even started to see a little bit of Ziyech at the end. And you, and I, I don't know if, if everyone else is kind of seeing different patterns emerging like I am, but... I think the ability that these guys will have to create new ways to attack defenses is going to be massive. And maybe more importantly, as we look at the defense to get out of trouble uh, more effectively is, is potentially going to be an improvement. Now, obviously the whole team has to, has to work together as a unit for that to, to work, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm just noticing some some different patterns. I'm, I'm not sure if our audience is or not either. So I'd love to hear if, if you guys are seeing some of the same things. But uh, yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to me to see eventually if we have a, a left footed center back, you know, how how this all really clicks, you know. But for right now, I'm really happy with some of the progression and some of the passing yesterday, and especially in the first half was insane. So I was very happy with that. Well, that's why they bought. Malang Sar, right? Left-footed center Definitely. back. One for the Definitely. future, I hope. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I guess, Dan, from your perspective, um, lefty is good. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I write left-handed, so I know the value of being able to use uh, the left side <laughs> of your body. And, you know, really just strong execution uh, from those players. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's nice. You know, we, we've had such a imbalanced side with having to have uh, right-footed players play left. I mean, it's it's about the turn of the body, right? You know, it's just a little awkward when you're having to go opposite your your natural inclination for something. And, you know, we've, we've seen players who have been inverted before and it's not really an issue or, you know, I mean, you look at someone like John Terry who could ping balls with either foot uh, just marvelously. And, you know, then you look at, you know, some players who really struggle to do that. And so having that natural ability in the side is uh, definitely a plus positive. So I'm actually, I'm going to give this eye test, uh, I'm going to give it a 2015 rating. I think it's, it's better than 2020. Wow. Look at that. It look was, at it, that. It was good. Was so Matthew McConaughey. Wow. <laughs> is it him or is it Owen Wilson? Sorry. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's good. All right. Um, this one we're probably going to dig into quite a bit here, but it's Frank Lampard's style of play. So Squawk had tweeted that Chelsea have conceded three goals in a Premier League home game under Frank Lampard for the first time. Defensive errors costing them dear. Then Statman Dave tweeted out, Chelsea's three Premier League games at home this season, a 0-2 loss to Liverpool, a 4-0 win versus Crystal Palace, and now a 3-3 draw versus Southampton. An inconsistent start to the competition. And then Squawka came back. And I think, Tweeds, this is what you had quoted earlier in the episode, that Chelsea have made five individual errors leading to goals in this season's Premier League, at least two more than any other team. They've even surpassed their tally from the entirety of last season. We had three last season after just five games. So not a great start, especially at home for Frank Lampard. Um, Not sure what the lack of fans does, because obviously they are very pro super Frankie Lampard. Um, And and they're definitely going to back the team much better than we, we saw versus the F sorry ball chance a couple seasons ago. Uh, but Tweeds, this is kind of like in your wheelhouse. This is what you do. Uh, how are you seeing Lampard's style uh, evolve or maybe not evolve now that we've added so much firepower up front, uh, added so many new players to the team uh, and a new Premier League season, which turns out is going to be way more competitive than I think maybe we even realized uh, you have Everton running away with it right now, which was uh, an, a contender we probably didn't expect to be at the top of the table, although we expected them to be closer to the top than last season. Yeah, this is uh, this is a tricky one to answer. Um, and I would caveat this with that it's just certainly not an attack on Lampard in, in sort of any respect. But I think the, the troubling thing for me is that we are a year into Lampard's kind of tenure here. And... I don't really see a sort of discernible kind of style of play that we're trying to go with. You know, we we press, but we don't really press like Liverpool, maybe even Southampton, you know, where we're sort of trying to use sort of fullbacks with width, but then they're sort of disconnected from the rest of the team. I think this season that there is a huge disconnect between the midfield and the attack. Um, and I think that we're probably incredibly reliant on sort of individual skill or, or ingenuity to score goals. You look at sort of Werner's goals um, yesterday, sort of Pulisic's great little movement and, and Havertz and, and the sort of the Werner combination of play. A lot of goals this season have been from, from just really top-class pieces of play. 
And I think in the past, I've often sort of spoken about how Lampard has moved away from kind of circuit-oriented football or sort of patterns of play that we've seen under Antonio Conte that we saw under Maurizio Sarri. And this almost kind of three-form style that you have. Um, I don't know if it's really, really helping the, the team at this point in time. And, and the reason that I, I sort of say that is if you look at yesterday, when Southampton figured out the sort of plan A, which, you know, dropping in between the centre-backs, um, this kind of 3-4-2-1 shape playing out from, from the back in that respect, as soon as they put us under pressure, the entire system collapsed. And one of the strengths of, of having this, this structured style of play is that t- the, the guys in possession or the entire team has a number of ways or a number of, of set patterns to relieve pressure to move the ball up the pitch. And I think that for me is, is probably the, the thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is that we've gone from maybe having a bit too much structure to having almost no structure at all. And I don't see that there being like a real pattern of how we progress the ball up the pitch. I don't see us having a, a sort of real set attacking pattern. Um, and the, the sort of question stems to, you know, whether the squad is, is, is good enough technically to play this style of football. And I think what I'm seeing is if I sort of compare someone like Lampard to, let's say, Mikel Arteta at Arsenal, Arteta has come from the Spanish tiki-taka style of school. He's been under Guardiola. Yet he has adopted a level of pragmatism at Arsenal that has seen them play five at the back, sit incredibly deep, play on the counter-attack, use their pace to their advantage. And this pragmatic approach, okay, they're not setting the world on fire, but they're not getting smashed by City 6-0. They're not, they're not as soft as, as what we've seen in a couple of years. And I think Lampard, maybe my biggest critique of him is that I feel he's a little bit style of a substance in some respect, that he wants to be perceived as this sort of good manager who's doing things the right way, he wants to encourage right football rather than looking at the players he's got and adopting a more pragmatic point of view. Yesterday, when we saw the team under intense pressure, the awkwardness and the level of discomfort that Zuma, Christensen and Aspilicueta in particular had shifting the ball between them was, was tangible. It was palpable to see how uncomfortable, particularly Aspi was under pressure when he was receiving the ball. I, I, it felt like yesterday, all that we did was we shifted the ball from Zuma to Jorginho to Aspilicueta then Aspie just just it just sort of went nowhere. And Southampton, they didn't really do much in terms of creation. They just put us under pressure. And that, for me, is, is the biggest sort of um, kind of worrying sign is that they're not really doing much to create chances. All they're doing is just being more intense. We saw them up the intensity level. Um, and I think a little bit that this is something that I've been kind of working over for maybe the past couple of months is that I think when you look at the coaching staff at Chelsea, that there is such a lack of diverse experience in the team. I don't think when you look at Joe Edwards, Jody Morris, you know, they're, they're, while they're incredibly talented coaches, they all essentially have the same school of thought when it comes to football. We, if you listen to a podcast with uh, a Graham, a Graham Hunter with Jody Morris, he's a huge advocate of Pep Guardiola. Joe Edwards is incredibly similar. Lampard, I think, is very, very much looking to play that kind of football. And when you have guys who have, who have cut their teeth in Chelsea's academy as coaches, they have the best players. They have the best talent. They don't have to really worry about structuring the team defensively. How do, what do we do when we turn over the ball? All of their coaching patterns and the majority of their coaching work is how do we break down teams with the ball in possession? You know, it's why when you look at Chelsea centre-back, every one of Chelsea's centre-back in the academy could go and play midfield in the championship because they're all so good on the ball. You know, Tarek Lamptey, Reese James, these guys who play fullback could probably play in midfield. You know, the degree of comfort on the ball in the academy and their style and, the, and the, the types of players they have to work with, I think is... You know, it's not really conducive to building a, a team in a, sort of a system in the first team that's, that seems to be they're trying to replicate that style of football without the players. 
you know, you can build up from the back when you've got Mark Gerhi, when you've got guys like Jonathan Panzer, when you've got guys like Reese James, when you've got Tarek Lamptey, when you've got Jada Sitt, when you have all of these wonderful, talented footballers, and, you know, you've got Billy Gilmore or Charlie Colkit, all these fantastic ball players in midfield. I think now with what we're seeing is that with all this, this they, they, they just have the, I think there's just this, this inability to really think of, of anything innovative or really sort of pick any kind of different way of doing things because they all have, you know, largely come from this, this same, this same kind of school of, of, of thought, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, when they're trying to reach into, into sort of the toolkit to think of different ways to impact the game, to change the system, to do things differently. Edwards and Morris are identical. You know, they're not going to offer anything different apart from what they've learned from Chelsea Academy. Lampard is incredibly new in this process. I think the style of play he wants to play is very similar to what Edward and Morris do. But even the addition of Anthony Barry, who I do think has improved us defensively at set pieces, isn't going to be enough to sort of change the entire style of the team. So, you know, I think that there, there comes a point where you have to look at, I think, just being a little bit more pragmatic in terms of how we play. If you don't have the players to play this possession-based game, I really don't think, if you look at, probably maybe Ben Chilwell is probably the only real, real, um, you know, sort of exception here, but the, and probably Thiago Silva, but the rest of the sort of defenders we have and, and Jorginho and Kante, under pressure, this is not a back four with, with the, the pivot in front of them who are going to be able to, to play comfortably under pressure. Southampton are not Liverpool, Southampton are not Bayern Munich, they're not, you know, an elite team with elite players. They're, they just worked incredibly hard in that second half. You know, I think I looked back and I think Theo Walcott had, um, like 26 pressures in the mid in the middle third and the final third. You know that was six fewer than the entire of our entire front three. You know he was he was everywhere. You know they had 142 pressures in the midfield and the final third. We had 90 in the same area. So, you know that's literally all I did was just work hard in the second half. So you know looking sort of taking it back to sort of the the, the question is, I'm not really sure what what the plan is and that and that does concern me. You know. And I want to give Lampard time to figure things out and I want to, to see him succeed here. But, you know, the more that you sort of un, un kind of pick the situation and look at what, what's ahead of him, it feels a little bit like he's come in and he's sort of learning on the job and we, we knew that last season. But, you know, the sort of the work experience aspect, the coaching staff that he has around, surrounded himself with, it's very much to me an echo chamber. And I don't think, unless something sort of drastic happens, you know, that we're going to see sort of this innovative or a pragmatic approach come sort of through because I think all of the coaches see the game in the same way. They're unlikely to, you know, drop another player defensively to to maybe not try and play with with four and out and out attackers. They're maybe just trying to to sort of uh, you know try and solidify the midfield, bringing another player, be a little bit more, be a little bit more rigid, be a play a little bit deeper. You know, playing an incredibly high line, sort of not really pressing, trying to play this possession style based game. I'm not sure at the moment it entirely fits the squad. And, yeah. you know, I don't want to look at Arteta as the, the beacon of, of what, what you should be doing, but he has gone into Arsenal and kind of organised them. And I can't say the same yeah. about Chelsea. And that, that for me is, is, is the big concern is that I want to see a little bit more pragmatism until you get to a point where you can start trying to play the style of football you want. You know, we don't have the time on the pitch this season if the match is coming thick and fast to coach the kind of patterns of play and the style of play maybe that we want to. So take a step back, be more be more practical and be a little bit more cautious in our approach and hopefully things improve. But it's it's not for me, uh, you know, as someone who I absolutely intensely want Lampard to succeed, It's I don't think it's anywhere near kind of the level that I would expect to play. And it's not really just based on the Southampton game. I think we've, we've seen it kind of over the course of, of his sort of time here that... that there is a disconnect between how we attack and how we defend. Structurally, we look very, very naive at times. 
And it's, it's for me, not at the moment, something that I really see improving. I mean, again, yesterday, I think Newman, the guy you were talking about, put a screenshot up of, um, we, we got caught on a counter with both Kante and Jorginho miles ahead of the ball, like 10, 15, 20 yards ahead of the, the guy receiving the ball. And, and that has to be a coaching point. So being more practical, being a little bit more defensive and, and not maybe being as, as gung-ho. But I don't know. It's it's not something that I'm I'm super comfortable with at the moment. I do hope that it changes. But, you know, we've, you know, we've all sort of worked in business and we know how teams work and how team dynamics work. If you have the same people and they have the same approach and the same mental um, sort of models to deal with things, you're very unlikely to generate that innovation that can lead to change. So it's, it's going to be a tricky one for him. I would love to see him get a more experienced hand in to help shape some of his ideas, you know, but it's, it's a question of, of, of how quickly that's going to happen. But I'm just not seeing the same let's say, or well, not seeing enough kind of development apart from the fact we've added in a lot of better players this season to really suggest that this is going maybe as quickly as I think some people would hope. Well, obviously, speed to success is is <laughs> what we all expect day one. You know, Nick, it is the second season. We have made a lot of changes to the squad. Um, there are a couple of things I think that we're still seeing that that haven't changed, you know, but when I look at the Premier League table, right, we've got We've scored, we're tied for the sec- third most goals scored, all right, with 13. Tottenham has scored 15. Everton have 14. Liverpool are 13. We have 13. We've conceded nine, though, which is far more than all of those teams, except Liverpool, who are on scored 13, conceded 13 because they got pummeled by Villa. You know? Yeah, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's, take, the, let's take the odd one out, right? right? Like, so that puts us on eight points versus 13, 10, 10 for those teams and a much healthier goal difference. It seems like we're so close, to, like we're on the precipice, the edge of being a monster team, but we're conceding consistently. And the shape, the transition, whatever it may be, set pieces, it's still haunting us and it's keeping us from being a great team like we all want us and see that we can be, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk formation here next, so I'm not going to I'm not going to pound that um, too hard here. I think the it, Joe Joe's made a myriad of good points there, so just go listen to that again and 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 hmm. digest. Um, I, I think one of the things that kind of came up to me yesterday, and then also while, while Joe was talking, just kind of validated it was there's a certain amount of imposter syndrome to this team. Um, and if, if you don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's essentially, um, you know, it's, it's a kind of a mental thing that you can do the job, but you don't feel like you're, you're able to do the job as well as someone else. So you feel like you're an imposter in, in a role. And I, I even get this sometime at work, right. And I work in a, in a creative ad agency and, and there are times where I don't, I, even though I've done a job a hundred times, I, I don't know if I can do it again. Right. Or I, I get, you know, kind of anxious about that. So there's a little bit of imposter syndrome to this team where I think there, there are the tools there to have a really good squad. There are there. I think we have really smart managers, uh, maybe not as experienced to Joe's point as we would need at this point, but um, the ingredients are there to make a really good dish, right? It's do the players all have confidence and the will and does the management staff drill into them that they are world beaters like Mourinho did to Lampard back in the day, one of the most famous Chelsea stories of all time. That's the thing that I'm, I'm a little bit worried about because that if, if one thing goes wrong with this team, it seems like they all kind of lose it a little bit. It's a fragile 
ecosystem. When things are flying, it's amazing. And when we face adversity, like we did against West Brom, there, there can be a response. So I don't want to discredit it altogether. I think there's a balance to this. But to me, I think there's just some fragility there and maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome. And I couldn't agree more on last point here on on the, you know, part of the imposter syndrome to me is, is Lampard wanting to be Pep or to have a really incredible, you know, style of play where everyone makes him out to be the genius. I think there's a little bit of ego involved there. But... It is clear that we are not Man City in the way that we play. It's clear that we're not Barcelona in the way that we play. I don't, you know, I made this point three weeks ago, but I don't think you have to be Man City or Barcelona to play exciting football. I don't think Lampard has to be the second coming of Pep Guardiola to be acknowledged as a top tier manager. So, like, I I want that thought to go away that you have to, you have to have a Lionel Messi or you have to have a, a, incredible manager to be a really fun, exciting team to watch. I mean, most people love the way that Atalanta played last year, right? It was a fun, exciting new approach. And I think they got a lot of credit for the way that they defended as well as the way that they attacked. And Lampard would know this more than any other player, Dan, because he played in some sides that were dire in possession, but had amazing counterattacking ability. And to me, I think that there needs to be a, bigger balance in a team. We'll talk about that in formation, obviously, but this team has all the the components to really be exciting. And I don't think they have to be a copy paste of another team's formation or system or style of play to do it. I, I agree with that. It makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I think the, the challenge is, is that there's this adoration for Frank Lampard, the player. And I think it's very hard to separate an assessment of arguably Chelsea's best player of all time, depending upon what era you grew up and your personal affection and what stats you value more than the other. You know, he, he is at least in the running in every conversation as a, he's on the Mount Rushmore of best Chelsea players, if it were. Um, but I, I do think there are, it's fair to ask questions when things are repeating without being fixed. But this is all we're doing. We're not saying Frank Lampard is going to be a terrible manager. We're not saying that Frank Lampard should be out of Chelsea tomorrow. What we're saying is Frank Lampard, in wanting to get the results that we all want, which is to be competitive and challenge for the the Premier League title, to get deep into the Champions League, most likely to win win it this year. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. Ultimately has to start addressing things that continue to repeat time and time again. We continue to see, and this is something I called out when we were in our group chat with Joe the other day, is I actually think the the ruthlessness that we have assigned to Frank Lampard is actually a little overstated as Frank Lampard, the manager. I think the, the ruthlessness of Frank Lampard, the player, the no holds barred, the kind of the drive, the commitment, the determination you know, we've seen Keppa get dropped and Keppa brought back into the lineup. We've seen Christensen have bad performances and Christensen continues to get the start of heads of someone like Fakayo Tomori. And, and look, you know, all of these things in, in isolation are just additional data points. When you kind of call them all together, this concern becomes is how quickly will Frank develop that ruthlessness that we talked about, you know, and and get these players to avoid the individual errors 
or to put the, you know, and really individual errors are caused. And I think Joe made this point perfectly. They're caused by players being put in positions that they are not set up for a success, success, you know, being a manager, you know, this is something I kind of have to deal with at work in a, a much different and not publicly visible situation. So uh, definitely don't have the same struggles that Frank does of having to do it on a stage for millions and millions of people. But you have to assess your talent and say, hey, I know that this individual is going to be really successful at this thing. And yeah, occasionally you give them a stretch assignment or maybe someone's out and you kind of need to take advantage of maybe a skill set or grow them in a different area. But if we know that our team does not do well in a pr- being pressed against, we have to negate that and allow the players to be in a position where they can be successful. Zuma does not do well being pressed down and distributing out. Jorginho does not do well when he gets pressed. And we saw that happen. And what didn't happen for another 15, 20, 30 minutes after that is we didn't see the substitutions come in to address the concern in this match yesterday. And again, this is an isolation, Brandon. It's one match. But I think the it's fair to ask questions and to look at it as an element of being maybe a bit disappointed that they're not being addressed when it seems like the problems are more evident than they were last season or they were even at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, look, if we didn't care, we wouldn't be concerned, right? We're not going to live in a, in, a, in a fake world where it's like, hey, Lampard means perfection. And we scored three goals. Okay, well, at the end of the day, you didn't beat Southampton and you scored three goals. We, we were leading, peg back, leading, peg back, leading, peg back. And this is something we've seen. Or we go down and we have to chase the match. And so we just need some, some, some effort and some consistency in a different part of the team. And again, we're not going to blindly follow. We are going to passionately follow and we are going to loyally follow. But again, I'm this, this isn't an echo chamber of perfection here. And so I think part of it is the optimal lineup, right? A huge concern. I still can't shake it was the 56 lineups in 60 matches stat that that we heard. That scares me. It's wild. Like it's wild, dude. It it there's no team chemistry, there's no consistency, you're not settled. It to me it's like Frank's overreacting to things where he's like Nope, got to change this, got to change this. Ooh, I can tweak this for this match and this. For this. It's like it's too much tinkering in, 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 in giving this team an ability to settle. So, uh, you know, with this, we had a we had, did have the question from Jay on, on Discord saying, why do you think Frank hasn't tried the 4-3-3 with Mount, Kai, and Conte? My opinion is because we haven't had Ziyech healthy. He, you know, it'll force Timo out wide. He doesn't have enough wide options. Pulisic wasn't healthy. I think that's why we haven't seen it, but you know, tweets to to this point and the one about you know Sh- you know Shupi always saying why why are we always changing center backs over and over AC and Zuma Conte and Jorginho in the center mid like why are all these changes happening? Part of it has been lack of ability to choose the squad he wants, but I still go back to I think he chops and changes too much. He's he's definitely pulling. Uh, you know, a, a Claudio Ranieri with this this tinkering in this Chelsea squad. Yeah, I mean, of all of the incredible managers that Lampard has worked on, that who would have thought that it would have been Claudio Ranieri's drop and change uh, policy <laughs> that was the most influential in his career? Um, I, I remember doing a deep dive into defenses last season. Did a bit of a thread on Twitter about it, and the amount of combinations, different combinations that we had was incredible. But also swapping, diff- you know, centre backs from left to right, the same people. To me, that I've never ever seen that happen. I never saw JT play with Cavalio 
JT always being the left centre-back and then one week, oh, let's just put him on the right-hand side, you know, because for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Um, I think in terms of the shape, I think the the 4-3-3 the for me is, is possibly the one that we have to go for. Um, I'd certainly agree that I don't think we've had maybe the personnel or the, the ones that Lampard would choose to, to pick that formation. Um, but I am someone who is a pretty, I suppose, probably with relatively renowned for not being huge, uh, huge sort of advocates of, of our midfield in general. So, um, you know, I think the 4 3 is, is one thing, but when it comes to the, the the back four, you know, there are a number of sports where you have, you know, sort of the trenches, you've got offensive line, defensive line in American football, you have the back four in, in, in football. They rarely change and they rarely change because chemistry and, building up that sort of trust and, and kinship between the players is incredibly, incredibly important. You know, the, the best teams in the NFL generally have an offensive line that literally plays every single down of every single minute ever until they win the Super Bowl. Chelsea's best ever, you know, seasons, we've had consistent back fours. You know, you don't chop and change fullbacks, you don't chop and change centre-backs, you don't change the goalie, you know, and we don't change the DM in front of them as well. You know, the, the defensive midfield is a huge part of this triangle of, of centre-backs and, and holding players in, in sort of the modern game. So I think in terms of the question, which pairing is worse for us defensively? Um, you know, now that I am free from Denmark, I can probably confidently say that anyone with Andreas Christensen in, in a two doesn't inspire me with, with a huge amount of confidence. Um, you know, I think the... I don't know if at this point it's like a banishing of Fikayo Tomori to whatever kind of depth he is now on, in the squad, fifth choice or whatever it is possibly... Is one of the more peculiar things that I think I've seen. Because, yes, there is a rawness to Tamori, and yes, there is a, an element that he needs to improve in, but his aggression and his pace and his actual enjoyment of defending make us a better team when he is playing. Um, and I think that the, the problem we have, certainly when it comes to defenders, is that without Thiago Silva, we have a lot of number two guys. You know, and I do like to use my American sports analogies on this show, but it's like Juju Smith-Schuster in Pittsburgh. You know, Brown's gone... He was the number two guy. He was fantastic when he was the number one guy. Maybe things aren't going as well. But we've seen loads of things where the number two guy becomes the number one guy and it doesn't quite happen. So I think we have a lot of we have a lot of that element. Um, I hope that that issue when Mendy is fit, when Chilwa is up and running, that, that we have very, very little kind of change. That I think possibly the, the back four that I would possibly look to play would probably be Azpilicueta, um, Silva, probably Zuma um, and Chilwell. And that's primarily because I personally would start looking to put Reese James in as a midfielder. Um, if you want to play a pivot, and this is a little bit, this maybe a little bit kind of, uh, you know, off the cuff, but he was very good at Wigan and he does bring both a range of passing and a physicality and an athleticism and an ability to play and receive the ball under pressure. that I don't think we really have anywhere else on the pitch. So if you want to persist your play in the two, Kante and James, I think, would probably give you a little bit more stability there. And I'm not necessarily looking for this kind of insane ball progression, but I do think that James actually is a decent passer and potentially could be someone to look into in that position. But I, I think, you know, the, the main sort of takeaway from, from the, these two questions is that Frank has to, at some point, determine who his number one defensive centre-back pairing is and then figure out either Reese James or Aspilicueta who is going to be his right back. I did find it strange that Reese James had a man and match performance and a really, really good ink performance and then didn't play um, for Chelsea the following game. I see that Aspilicueta is captain and he's a bit more steady. Um, 
but when Southampton were putting us under pressure, I think that, that James is a little bit more confident on the ball. You know, he's, he's less likely to panic and play 7,000 clearances that we saw on the stats earlier in the game. So, yeah, the, the back four for me, that's that's the big question that I would like to see addressed soon. And then it's a question of you've, you've got to start figuring out who the guy is going to be in defensive midfield. You know, the, the, the combination, it drives me insane seeing, you know, you cannot get any sort of continuity. You cannot predict where people are going to be, their tendencies, all these sorts of things that you have to have in those areas by changing every week. The reason that Chelsea, when they've won the league title, that they've had a good combination of centre-back and DM is such an important thing. You know, we had Matic recently with Terry and, and Cahill or whoever's sort of been there, John Abe McHale in, in years past with Terry and whoever, McAuley with Terry and whoever. I mean, it's it's a consistent triangle of, of, that lets you have a really, really well-established base. But yeah, that this is going to be one of the questions that I think Lampard has to sort out soon because... As you say, we can't have another season where we have a different lineup every single week or a different combination of players. It's it's actually it's actually insane that, that can happen for two seasons in a row. Dan, are we aligned that the four three three is kind of like the podcast preferred formation? Yeah, well, I, I know that everyone cares about what random people say about what the best formation is who are not Premier League football managers, but I do think that when you look at the talent that we have it would make sense to go with a, and, and again, I think that the, the caveat and the asterisk is formations are fluid. They change from attack to defense and how you attack and defend is actually maybe even more important than what the formation ends up being at the, but at the end of the day, just as a starting place to work from in the match, a back four, a midfield three that can support a attacking trident of a Timo Pulisic and, and Ziyech is something that makes sense to me. It's it's about balance. We, we have to have more balance than we currently have. Like Joe, Joe's note earlier about when we attack, it's like a three at the back, maybe one midfielder hanging back and then everybody else is in the box. I mean, like that's how you get countered. It's uh, like, it's, it's basics. Um, so, I mean, I prefer a 4 3 because I think it provides more strength in midfield. I think the distribution from midfield is better that way. And I think that while it may not be Kai's preferred position, him as an attacking A can still do plenty of damage. Um, and that's where Mason's played best, allowing our wingers to be who they are, right? The, part of my problem with the 4 one is that you have so much defensive responsibility on the wingers that they may not get as forward as much as you need. So, um yeah, I would, I would definitely do a four three three if it were me. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this mega review up, uh, but we got to do it the right way. So Dan of the match poll, emphatic results. No recounts needed, sir. Yeah, no, this this one was pretty straightforward, but I, I did fill out some, some other options. I did put Havertz in there. I put Pulisic in there. I gave an other field to see if there was any random name that I wasn't thinking of, but the only one people should have voted for because everyone else it's just wrong it's the wrong vote is that Werner with 91.9 we're gonna round it up to a solid 92 percent of the vote just makes total sense slam dunk he got all the electoral college delegates (laughs) clean clean sweep on that one um all right well the Premier League table as it stands uh and this is during the the Spurs West Ham match uh, is Everton in first still Tottenham jumping up on goal difference uh, to second, Liverpool third, Villa fourth, Leicester fifth, Arsenal sixth, and beloved Chelsea seventh. Just above a myriad of teams on seven points. Leeds, Man City, Southampton, Newcastle, Crystal Palace. 
Look, it, it Bur- I guess, you know, relegation, you've got West Brom in 18th, Fulham in 19th, Burnley in 20th. Fulham getting a point bump thanks to Ruben Loftus-Cheek's presence in their lineup. Uh, they got their first point, so good for them. Just just chuffed. Uh, but it's not good enough. When the, we look at the table and we see the fact that, you know, granted we're one win away from being in second, but the fact is we're dropping points. You know, Spurs, Liverpool... Leicester, Everton, they're beating the teams that they would quote-unquote need to beat to compete for the top. We've now dropped points against West Brom and Southampton, and that is not good enough as, as we try to cement ourselves in the top four. Villa are there for the love of it. Aston Villa, who saved themselves on the last day from being relegated. Uh, I'm not saying they're better than us, but the table is starting to shake out, and I don't like where it's shaking out. So, uh, hey, Tweets, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us on this episode. We knew it'd be a mega review, but chock full of goldies. I love it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's been good. First, uh, first podcast for me this season, so nice to get the uh, the match fitness back. It's uh, <laughs> good. Uh, obviously, Nick and Dan, thank you, gentlemen. Listeners, we've got Sevilla in the Champions League, and we've got another Matt Law pod. And then we're obviously going to be previewing Manchester United. So a big week. All right, get ready for it. There's a lot going on. Uh, we'll be at you with a ton of content. But that's going to wrap us up. So thank you, listeners. Uh, you are the best part about it. Nick and Dan, gentlemen, thank you for joining. Obviously, tweeds. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Keep the blue flag flying high.